I don't know about you, but it's true when I encounter a challenge in life. Trusting God with it is almost always the last thing on my list. When I encounter a challenge in life, I go straight to that prayer or that statement or that teaching attributed to St. Francis, which says, work like it all depends on you, pray like it all depends on God. Except I get stuck in the first part of that. right? Work like it depends all on you. And I do probably what many of you do. I go through all my lists. I consult. I think. I stress. Sometimes I get angry. I really wrestle hard. And only after I have exhausted every last resource available to me, and frequently myself, do I finally sigh and say, I give this over to you. Oh God. And sometimes I hear coming back, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for remembering that I'm here. When we hear stories from Genesis, for us living in the age that we do and where we live in the world, there are at least two traps that we almost invariably fall into. The first one I remember from my little flirtation with fundamentalism many years ago. I was in a campus crusade group on a university campus. And that first trap is to take Genesis literally. Most of us don't do that now, but it was my exit out of fundamentalism when I had the temerity to suggest that maybe we could take Genesis metaphorically. And I was attacked for that. There you go. Because I don't think the authors of Genesis intended it to be read as an instruction manual, nor as an empirical text for how the universe unfolded. But the second trap is a little bit more familiar to us, and that is to the trap of dismissing Genesis as a sort of pre-scientific patriarchal text. So why should we bother? And unfortunately, that trap does a disservice to the authors of Genesis who were writing down stories and accounts that had been told for countless generations before them. And so when the sages were putting this into its written form some 2,500 years ago, they were putting into writing accumulated wisdom over countless generations told by parents to their children and to their grandchildren around campfires, around the dinner table, around times of sorrow and difficulty in life, reminding them of deep truths about what it meant to be human and above all what it meant to be in relationship with God. So when we hear this very familiar story today about temptation in the garden, it's just garden variety, right? It's about life. It's about us. 
Even though we wonder, why does God not want us to have knowledge? Isn't knowledge a good thing? But it's not just knowledge with a big K, it's knowledge of good and evil. And the implication is very clear and is put into the words of the serpent. To have knowledge of good and evil is to be like God. That is, to take on the burden of judgment. And to grasp after that before we are ready is perhaps one of our greatest sins. It is as though we have stolen the keys to the family car and we are in the driver's seat even though our feet can barely reach the pedals and we can't yet see over the dashboard. Good luck with that. We're not ready to sit in judgment. But Adam and Eve eat of the fruit. We eat of that fruit and so take on the burden of judgment and immediately the results are clear. In the next few verses, Adam and Eve are hiding in the garden from God. The relationship has been broken. Above all, because the relationship that they were called into, the relationship we all are called into, is a relationship of trust. That the only way we are going to gain knowledge of good and evil is if we take up our calling to be under God's wing. If we allow ourselves the time to grow up in God's loving grace, then will we know true judgment. But instead we often grasp it for ourselves. And the results in the human family speak for themselves. But Paul in his letter to the Romans would have us contrast this story, this primordial story about the human condition with the story of Jesus in the wilderness. Because you see Jesus in the wilderness is confronted with the same challenges we all are. Hunger, Loneliness, disempowerment. And the way that Jesus answers temptation is completely antithetical to the way that Adam and Eve answer it. Jesus chooses trust. Because Jesus knows a God who knows us better than we know ourselves. A God who loves us so intimately that not one particle in our blood is left unknown. As our ancient texts would have it, not even the hairs of our head are left uncounted. So, my brothers and sisters in Christ, the lesson of the first Sunday in Lent is to relearn how to trust to trust God, this God who loves us so deeply that we cannot even begin to imagine how much we are cherished, 
how much our needs are known even before we know them, how much our lives are held by grace. But when we begin to trust, when we begin to live after the example of our Savior, we too will be empowered as Jesus will be empowered to heal, to nurture, to share in community, even if it's a ragtag band like those first followers were, or like us, so many centuries later. And to follow the path to Jerusalem in trust, to even face death in trust, find the power that raises us to life anew. This has been a sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You can reach us by phone at 415-388-1907 or visit us online at OurSaviorMV.org. That's O-U-R S-A-V-I-O-U-R M-V for Mill Valley dot O-R-G We wish you God's peace and we hope to greet you in person very soon.